Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let me tell you about my client, Michael Dorsey. He was a fine actor, but for every role he wanted, there was a reason why he wasn't right. Sorry, you're too tall. I can be shorter. No, I can't use you. Too short. Oh, I can be taller. Too moody. Next. Too old. Too stubborn. You're too much trouble. Too tough. Too temperamental. Too pushy. Too difficult. Michael, no one will hire you. Just watch me. Boy, did he show us. Hi, my name's Jonathan Harden. And you are listening to episode seven of series three of the Honest Actors podcast, sponsored by Today Tix. If you want great offers on theater tickets, access today seats on your mobile, and exclusive front row lotteries, you need Today Tix, the ticketing app that lets you see theater differently. To get tickets with no queues and no fuss, download Today Tix now from the App Store and Google Play. So here we are, Monday the 21st of January. It's been almost a month since the last episode of this series went out. If you weren't aware, I put out six episodes over five days uh, at Christmas time. And uh, to those of you who've already downloaded and listened to those, thank you very much. Thank you also for spreading the word. Please continue to do that on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever it is that you spread your good news. Uh, If these podcasts have been enjoyable and potentially useful to you in some way they might be useful and enjoyable to others in your life so please do tell people it's the only way that word gets out there the podcast is on twitter at honest actors it's also at facebook.com forward slash honest actors you can leave a rating and a review on apple podcasts forward slash itunes and the podcast is now available to be listened to on spotify as well as on the acast app stitcher and loads of other podcast apps so wherever you listen to this podcast if you can leave a rating and a review please do so and please do share and continue to share your favorite bits of the podcast using the hashtag best of honest actors i don't think i have anything else to ask of you except to reiterate that just share the shit out of the podcast especially in january it is no coincidence that i held off on releasing episodes that i had for quite some time until december the podcast stats traditionally have gone through the roof in December and January because, surprise, surprise, lo and behold, it is the time of the year when actors tend to feel at their lowest, at their most helpless. And in spite of the fact of that that New Year burst of energy that a lot of people seem to get, it's often short-lived. And by this point in January, people can start to feel like 
you know, useless, uh, permanently unemployed. Like, why hasn't my agent called me since before Christmas? All of that carry on. So if that's the way you're feeling, you can bet your bottom dollar that other people in your life who are actors are feeling the same. So uh, not only share this podcast, but just give them a text, give them a call, meet up for a coffee, bitch about the world. You will feel better for it. Don't sit on your own thinking you're the only dickhead, right? You're not. So share the shit out of this. Go meet someone, have a chat, look after yourself. It will come good in the end. Anyway, this is episode seven with Emily Barrington. Some of you may have already heard the special live episode with Emily Barrington and Sean Biggerstaff, which we did for Equity uh, just before series three went out. If you haven't already listened to that, you should go back. Um, it's really, really good. I'm not the person doing the interviewing. That's done by Larner Wallace Taylor, who also produced that special live episode for Equity. And I thought it was great. And I sat in the audience and thought, I have to get these two onto the podcast and do, you know, uh, fuller interviews with the two of them. So this is the first one of those with Emily. I spoke to her over the phone uh, from the cupboard in my bedroom. Um, to somewhere in her flat in London just before Christmas. And this is that interview. Enjoy. Emily Barrington. And that's her phone ringing. Hello. Hello. Is that Emily? It is. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you? Okay. Yeah, good, thanks. Um, so listen, just so you know, I'm recording this call for training and monitoring purposes. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, I have to say that um, whenever we did the equity chat, I was listening to both you and Sean and going, why have I not had these two on the podcast? They're both amazing. It was it's so huge. good. It was so good listening to you two. As oh, a, thank pu- you. But purely as audience as well. You know, like having somebody else, having Lorner do the chat. Yeah, that must have been weird that you got to just listen. Yeah, it was kind of, it was totally bizarre, but great because aside from the couple of moments when I got too much for me and I felt like I had to shout from the back of the theatre, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, it was actually really nice just hearing that kind of conversation happen and mm. also hear Larner take it somewhere slightly different as well, which was great. Um, but no, I, I really genuinely enjoyed that chat, and but at the end of it thought, God, I could extend I could have a extended chat with both these guys and I'm sure there's more in, in both of them. So thanks. <laughs> I there for, is. Well, Otherwise, if there's not, I'll just repeat myself. If not, it's fine. If there's not, I'm <laughs> not going to tell you. So, but, you know, we'll just pretend at the end that it's been the greatest chat. It was that brand new information. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm sure um, there's more. I really enjoyed it. It was lovely. So what was that like for you? Because I guess the thing is, I very rarely get to chat people, chat to people about the interview after it's happened. And I guess this interview hasn't happened, but in, in a way, a little bit of it ha- will have been had by you and Lorna during the equity chat. And I wondered how how that felt, if that's a fair question. Like, do you come away with that, from that going, did I overshare? Did I, you know, did I say things that make me sound bad? Like, do you, mm. did you have, was there any panic after that or was it? I kind of, I always have a bit of a panic after any interview I've ever done, whether it's press related or this which was very different and not about promoting anything or myself and I think that it's because it's so deeply ingrained in you as an actor that your image is so important and that the way you come across is really important and kind of every word you say in an audition could like 
turn things one way or the other that I definitely um I I no longer for example read any interviews that I've done whereas to begin with I'd be really excited and like read back and then yeah. would feel terrible afterwards and think that makes me sound like a moron or whatever um so I try not to overanalyze it but did, did yeah you, did I think, you listen to that one I actually did because right. um a friend of mine who's part of equity um called me about it and was like oh it was so interesting and all this kind of stuff and I think because particularly because I was on with Sean and I I guess in the moment you're there's so much going on and so much information <laughs> that I thought I'm going to listen back and and see if what we said made sense and if it's stuff I stand by I think it's the I classic it it's the classic yeah. that you're thinking too much about what you're saying to listen to other people totally. truth be told yeah there were loads yeah. of things you said and I was like oh that was interesting I hadn't heard that before <laughs> I, was, I was thinking all about my next cue <laughs> which yeah. is not good for acting um but uh yeah so so I do think it's very yeah it's so hard when you're so in tune with how you're coming across as a person all the time to drop that and just go the point of this the point of honest actors is to let down some of that guard and to try and get to what you actually think but I, I don't think I just do it in interviews I think I do it when I talk to people I definitely do it in therapy sessions where I get to the end and think I don't think I meant any of that it was just what I thought I should be saying <laughs> I was spilling silences like, that was all a load of bullshit yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I've only realized recently yeah. that I my mm -hmm. one of my biggest uh, personality flaws is that in the absence of an opinion, I'll just pick one at random and pretend oh. like it's and pretend like it's absolutely passionately held. Absolutely. <laughs> and then someone will disagree with me and I'll be like, Oh, yeah. why have I why have which, I stuck myself to that stupid opinion? Which is yeah. fine whenever it's it's why media training, I guess, is is probably really good for people. It's really fine when you're talking about it behind closed doors. But then when someone's oh. chatting to you for something and they ask you it's a question been, and you feel like I can't just say I have no thoughts. Can't possibly yeah, I can't like, possibly admit I'm to that. Changeable person and maybe it, and quite often people bring up things that I've said in a previous interview and I think, oh, I don't really, oh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that anymore. And you feel like you either have to kind of damn your past self or agree with your past self. You can't just be like, I don't know, I, I'm a complex human being and one day I think this and another day I think this. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough. You want to be interesting as well. I think that, that the pressure to sound interesting and worth somebody listening to a podcast of you or whatever is, I think, the temptation to, um, yeah, to have an opinion where maybe you don't and maybe you should be giving yeah. the floor to someone that does have one and does know about it is I've been trying to kind of learn that certainly. Uh, yeah. Well then, uh, in, uh, in with reference to that past self, cause there's my, there's my in for a segue. How about, mm. um, let's, let's, uh, let's pretend that that chat didn't happen and, please do feel free to feel like you may be repeating yourself. Um, and for okay. those people who haven't listened, this is a little one of those moments where I break the fourth wall. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to that, you should go back and listen to it because I think it is really genuinely worthwhile to hear Sean and Emily talking about the things that they discuss. And also, like I say, to hear a slightly different spin on similar questions from this podcast being delivered by a different interviewer. So, uh, it's worth having a go on a chat, but let's leave that in the past and let's go further mm. back. And as I always do, um, with everyone, I'm going to ask you how you came to be an actor. How did you get into this? What was your what were your first steps towards acting as a professional? Um, I suppose doing lots of 
Amdram um, at school and in local societies. Um, and then I went to university and did Amdram on the side of my um, degree. And then uh, I went to, to do other work and other jobs. Um, but I was still thinking about whether I could become an actor. And I just didn't know how it would be possible. And all I'd ever heard was how difficult it is and competitive. Um, and so I'd kind of be a bit put off as to whether I would really enjoy it if I was part of the business of it. Uh, but then a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, went to drama school and I just thought, oh, why am I not giving it a go? Why have I held myself back? Uh, and I was doing a job. I was working for the Labour Party. I was in the House of Commons and I thought, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have known five or ten years ago how to get this job. But somehow I've got here. Yeah. So if I apply the same thing to being an actor, maybe I will work out if that's possible. And so I've kind of allowed myself. That's sorry, pretty good logic. Rate. Yeah, I just thought I'll, I'll take it step by step, basically. It's what I really want to do. So I'll, I'll apply to drama school. And I did. And I, I went to Guildhall. And then at the end of Guildhall, I thought, I'll see what happens in third year. You know, I'll see if I get an agent or how you get an agent. And I'll see if I can get a job. And, and I've kind of tried to carry that on. But I try not to look at look 30 years ahead. I just sort of try and think about the next six months or a year or something. Yeah, we should never think 30 years ahead. What comes, no. what comes of that? Um, so I, can I you, just probably won't exist anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll be CGI. Uh, can yeah. you remember what your, your very first time on stage was? What age you were and what was, what was the particular context? I was in the, well, it's good for this time of year. I was in my nursery nativity Lovely. and I played the innkeeper's wife and I was absolutely livid that the innkeeper's wife didn't get to say anything, but only the innkeeper got to speak. I, I'm livid for and, you. I'm livid for you. I know. It was very pre-era 50-50. Um, and now I'd be demanding that I got to say half of the, there's no room at the inline. And um, there's a photo of me next to my fellow, my um and keep her husband looking absolutely livid with kind of yeah like a, a little dressing gown on I think I am not even livid about that I'm livid that it's not even the lead role I know don't I never they know who you're Mary. going to be <laughs> I mean come on what's Mary doing now no. Yeah, I'd probably working know, in the obviously. Houses of Parliament like a loser. <laughs> probably, yeah, like an absolute loser. <laughs> I know. I don't, do you know what, though? I don't think I'd have wanted to be Mary. I very much, all through school and everything, I never wanted to play a lead role in anything. It was like, I think I, I couldn't get my mind around having that much focus and attention on me. And there was what we did, Oliver, at school. I remember being—I remember crying myself to sleep one night because I thought they might make me play Nancy. Hilariously, they didn't, and I was in the chorus, so my my ego got ahead of me there. But I was so worried that I might have to do something where there would be too much focus on me. So it sort of took a while before I got my mind around, you know, that that was okay and maybe even you know a positive thing because it meant that you had a really interesting part. But it definitely wasn't a natural part. So so. Innkeeper's wife was kind of good for me in a way, but you know, could have done with somewhere in the middle. I made yeah. the angel Gabriel or something like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but what's interesting about that is though it it, it speaks to kind of a a larger a thing that seems to be that people seem to hold, which is that actors like the spotlight. Non-actors, people outside the industry, 
seem, mm. seem to think that actors are actors because, oh, you love the attention, right? You know, the classic oh, thing know. of if a family event's happening or, you know, in the, in the, at the other end of the scale, if there's a family funeral, the first person they think of to speak will be the actor yes. in the family because that means nothing to you. That is the easiest thing in the world to you. And quite often this podcast, it's turned out that actors actually are not necessarily the people who step forward and grab the microphone in other circumstances. So no, as, for sure. As a kid, were you were you were you a shy kid in the class or were you Yeah, I guess I was kind of socially fairly confident, but I was very non pushy. Um I would never kind of be the one that pushed to the front to do something. Um I was very happy kind of in a in an organizational role i think i was pe kits monitor was my um proudest right. moment when i was in primary school that i was like you know no, i wasn't like class president not that i think there was one when we were five but i was happy in a in a sort of small administrative role yeah and um, you were a firm believer in the rule yeah. of law as well this cor- oh for sure that, and, like, that child that child is the child that ends up working in the houses of parliament right <laughs> that child yeah, my creative side hadn't quite come out yet so so how does that how does that come about then what's the transition from the kid who is PE kit what is it PE kit monitor is that monitor right yeah so I had to PE check kit monitor yeah. is definitely on a trajectory towards working at the houses of parliament right so yeah. how does that kid become the kid that's on a trajectory to being a professional actor like at what point does it start to swing where you think Mm. actually this is something beyond just a bit of fun is that much later or is that something that you you kind of you keep to yourself and don't admit to others but you feel it as a young young child well no I definitely didn't feel it as a young child I was very happy with my PE kit monitoring but by kind of I think by at the age of 16, 17, um, I'd left PE kits behind. And I think, I guess I I did some amdrum in Oxford where I grew up at the Oxford Playhouse. And it was the first time I'd been on, you know, a professional stage at a professional theatre. And I remember there being something so special about that. And even things like, I really loved the, the tech and like the whole mm. team of people that were there and, Kind of all this effort that went into these really creating these really beautiful amazing moments and I think I got it was if anything I began to enjoy the creative side of it before I began to feel comfortable with the attention and and um you know the sort of self-analysis and so on that can go with it mm-hmm. so yeah around the age of 16 17 18 I, I began to do more drama I did some musicals um at school and in this and society and it was through that that I began to think, oh, my God, can, I, can you imagine if this was your job? This would just be too brilliant. Yeah. Um, but I guess I quelled it a bit and thought, no, I'll go to university and look at what else I could do because I don't really know how I would turn this into a job. And it was doing plays uh, and musicals at university that I really, I don't know, I just I found it very hard to stop thinking about how much I would like to do it. And it was definitely the part of my week I was looking forward to the most and even though I loved other things and I could, I could definitely see that I could have other very happy careers. And I still totally mm. believe that, you know, I'm never yeah. going to be somebody that says like, I would die to be an actor or, or there's nothing else I want to do because there are loads of things I want to do, but the thing I want to do most right now is this. Um, and, and I can feel a bit guilty for saying that no. I guess, because it can sound a bit like you're not committed enough or, there are other people that want it more than you, but I guess I've always felt like 
wanting it isn't the thing that makes it happen actually yeah but if anything sometimes the times i've wanted it the most have been the times it's been hardest so um because the pressure's on so much so that 17 or 18 year old um mm. how do you before you you quell it before you put yourself off it or allow other people to put you off it mm. uh, how do you find out more about it did you i mean did you sit down and google how to be an actor did, i mean was it was it that level yeah. of, you didn't know anybody who'd done it you'd know nobody in your family to go to or or did um, you get a little cousin, bit of advice from outside i had a cousin who's an actor um and and still is an actor and so i knew a little bit there um, but I guess I just didn't know how I could do it. I think it felt like such a mystery journey that I do remember when I was maybe 18 looking at, uh, you know, when I was applying to university, looking at doing drama at university and then looking at going to drama. I'd, I'd sort of looked up a couple of drama schools, but I just couldn't tell from the Internet what that meant and how you would know what a good one was or how you would then start working afterwards yeah um and because i also loved the idea of going to university and doing a degree um and uh, i was really into politics and geography and so on so i did a geography degree um it wasn't even in a way i quelled it but in a way i was just torn and because one option seemed so mysterious and i didn't know anybody who had taken that exact route i just thought I can't, uh, I can't get my mind around it now. And it was at a time where university fees were thousand pounds a year, I think, which is still yeah. a lot of money. But yeah, it's not. I wish there was another way of going about getting work. I suppose. Buy tickets. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> Buy tickets to the best theatre in London, the new way. With the Today Ticks app, getting great offers and access to exclusive tickets has never been easier. With Today Ticks Rush, you don't have to queue at the box office for hours to get day seats like some insert insult here. You can access big savings with their lotteries for shows like... Ugh, do I really have to open the app? Ah, oh, I left my phone in the other room. You've been saved. Anyway, download Today Ticks, the theatre ticket app from the App Store and Google Play. And see theatre differently. I think I used that. Do you get anxious about the, the whole process of going in for a job? I've, I've tried very hard, particularly in the last year, to um, bring my stress levels down, whether that's kind of excitement or anxiety, because I was finding, I was finding that particularly if it was a job I really wanted and a piece of work I really wanted to do, that I could wind myself up about it so much in advance and and also there's a never-ending amount of work that you could do so i'd find myself up till kind of two in the morning working on something and then exhausted the next day and and that's not a very conducive way to work or a healthy way to live no that you know if it's a one-off then that's okay but if it's constantly how you get work and and the problem i was finding is that often it would pay off and the audition would go really well and i'd get the job um but I began to realise it was taking a bit of a toll on me emotionally and I was getting more and more anxious. And then if I didn't get something, that it was so much harder. So I've tried to find ways of levelling out and setting myself rules of a time in the evening to stop working. Um, and also, if I get something, not, not celebrating to the point of, you know, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me and it's going to change my life. But being reasonable and going this is great 
I'm going to really enjoy doing this and it's going to be really interesting. And then I'll be back here again in a few months time doing another audition so that if I don't get it, I don't have to fall down a, a complete well of despair, um, you know, to keep everything slightly more on a, a level plane. Because yeah. it's impossible not to invest. If you really want something and you've worked really hard, then you're already invested in it. So you have to be realistic that you are going to feel things. And I certainly, from the moment I leave the audition to the moment I hear an answer or don't hear an answer, as, as is often the case, I can easily just spend that whole time in an absolute you know, state of dread and excitement and convincing myself I got it, convincing myself I did it and calling my agent and saying, I'm just checking that you haven't left me, left me a voice message that I didn't hear. (laughs) Checking that my voicemail is working and I've had to really kind of train myself to bring that down to a a more livable with level. So because you're seemingly on a journey of managing this shit and getting it Mm. under control, uh, in the kind of worst case scenario, do you feel more anxious about an audition before or after? Um, before, because I think before I still feel like it's all um, my responsibility and it's down to me how well it goes. And to a degree, that's completely true. But then there is a, a huge part of it that will only go as, as well as it can based on who's in the room, how they're feeling, what they're looking for. Um, and so I think afterwards, I at least feel like it's in the lap of the gods now and I must do my best to move away from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so definitely beforehand, it's it's before where I really struggle to get myself to put down the script and go to bed. And so when you don't get a job, it sounds like you don't necessarily blame yourself in the best version of events. Um, yeah, it, in it, the best version of events, I, I don't. I, I feel like I'm realistic about the fact that it will just be that they didn't choose me um, and they could have done, but they just didn't. If I, and that's where the, the whole kind of, obsessive hard working comes in where you think well I you know I could have done more I could have done more and I never want to leave myself feeling like that but I think you tend to know if you if you do an audition and and you'd prepared well enough and you were ready with ideas and choices and you know you gave it a good shot yeah yeah it's tough isn't it though it's like oh, it is it's yeah it is it really is and it just it, it I mean <laughs> It's really interesting hearing you because one of the things I picked up on from the equity chat was that you had very much changed how you approach this job over the course of your career. So from, um, from, you know, graduating and getting a job, a good job in a theater and getting good TV and, you know, like to use that phrase that, you know, you didn't like, but kind of high high end Mm. or whatever it is right so working at that level i guess you could almost fall into the trap of thinking that this is easy or or rather people looking at you from the outside could think she has it easy that these things yeah for sure and and i and i think it would be false to pretend that uh that that's not completely true in that it does make it easier when you've done even if it's just confidence wise, you know, you get a a job and you think, okay, it's possible to get a job. So there's a chance I'll get another job. Um, It doesn't, I think in terms of statistics, I certainly don't feel like um, it's magically easier, partly because the rooms you go into often get more competitive and um, you're going up the bigger parts where you're going up against much more experienced actors and that kind of thing. 
But yeah, I think it would be kind of a bit of a denial of the truth if I didn't say it. It does, some elements do get easier when you've done some of that work. But the pressure that you feel in terms of I'm never going to, uh, I'll, I'll never work again. Actually, I'm slightly contradicting myself there. But I think that you never, you never lose the, the pressure that uh, you feel of how much you want something, how much it means to you, the fact that you might have to deal with not getting it. Um, the fact that there's a really, really good chance you're not going to get it because statistically it's it's unlikely to be you, that never goes away. And I know people who are working at a far kind of higher profile, I'm doing inverted commas yeah, yeah. um, level than I am, that are far more stressed about their careers than, than friends I have um, who aren't at that level but have found ways to make themselves very happy in their working life. Um, and to take some of the pressure off themselves, kind of whatever it is they're auditioning for. So that's what I'm, I've kind of, I think you can accept that you're lucky to have uh, to have done a certain amount of work and that that will help you in some rooms and in some ways, but also know that there's there's a million more rooms that are, are just as terrifying as ever. And so, yeah. So when you get an email through and it says in subject line, Emily Barrington, you know, dash, and then the name of the project, Dash. Appointment notification, yes. Yeah, right. um, and you read it, and the character is probably, for, uh, you're looking at it, you think, oh, that's not anything anybody's ever asked me to do before or I've ever done before. Is there a point, even before you go into the room, where you start thinking, I, this isn't, I'm never going to get this, this is <laughs> Yes, of course. And I think that it's hard because you, you, some things come through and you think, yeah, I, I, this is something I've done before. I know I can do it. Great. I can smash this. But obviously the dream is, well, for me, is to get something that I haven't done before that is in a new direction. So I always feel that dual thing of when something comes in and yeah, I read it, I think, oh, no one's going to see me as this. No, I'm really going to have to kind of fight to show that I can do this thing. A part of me is really excited because that's often what I want, but also it's hard not to go in. I that's they're they're the auditions where whoever I see in the waiting room, I just think, oh, of course she's going to get it. She's absolutely perfect. I am a million miles away yeah. from what they're looking for. That girl is the dream, and so um, yeah, I definitely get more uh, more wound up in terms of the lack of faith in myself to get it. Probably because you know that it is slightly harder to get things yeah. where people don't don't automatically think of you, but it has happened, and I have to hope it will happen again. Um, and that some people are really open minded and great at seeing that an actor is allowed to be loads of different things and not just one thing, um, not just be a robot forever. For example. Yeah. So, so uh, there can't be too many of those parts. Um, so, no. what what I was going to ask was, uh, I don't know if you've seen um, Tootsie. Uh, yes. but there's a trailer for Tootsie, which is really worth looking at. And, uh, basically it's whenever he starts going for parts and the reasons why he's getting turned down, it's, you know, a load of panels and it's stuff like somebody going too tall, way too short, mm. doesn't look Jewish enough, too Jewish. Right. <laughs> yes. And it's just a series of ridic the ridiculous, uh, and contradictory reasons why we don't get work. Um, if, if such a thing existed for 
for your career what do you what do you have you ever had perennial feedback I, I like what's my montage yeah what what or, or what's That's your really good question what are the things that you feel like oh god not not that not that again i used to get for example i used to get too intense and, <laughs> right and as someone as someone said to me what do you mean well, someone said intense. to me recently was exactly the fuck are you looking at uh somebody said to me recently no one says that to Daniel Day-Lewis. No one says, <laughs> no one says, not that I'm saying I'm Daniel Day-Lewis, but no one goes. No, 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 but you're right. But like, it's just that thing of like. People love intensity from him. Yeah. yeah why it, can't they love it from you? Totally. Right. And the, oh. the thing is, I don't even think I'm intense, but it, that was really interesting. So that was oh, kind of one of those so... things I used to get was he's too intense. And I think, you know, I think that's partly down to people misreading Northern Irish accents as being right. slightly aggressive, right? Right, for, right, for very obvious reasons. But um, yeah, but not fair reasons. But not fair reasons. So I'm wondering, is there anything over the course of maybe something in the past that ceases to come in now? And of course, if you feel like, do you know what? I don't really want to answer that. It's quite a personal. No, one. That's, that's really good. Of... No, I'm really thinking about it. I'm trying to because I feel like there's what you hear, and then there's what you what you are assuming people think. Um, I think definitely some feedback I used to have a lot and that I that I've really worked on was that um, I'd go in with this idea that I had to be so kind of pliable and amenable and ready to fit into whatever mold they were looking for that I would go in without my own well I have my own ideas but I wouldn't show them to anybody I'd kind of do nothing i remember my first audition ever was for a tv thing and and i literally i think i just said the lines as kind of straightforwardly as possible with no thinking going yeah, on whatsoever just be malleable. because i thought they'll just see whatever they want to see on me and if i make a choice then they might not be able to see the choice that they want in many um, ways in many ways was, you were cutting mad. your own yeah. path through the industry there you were <laughs> you were redefining the very I profession was. itself I was going in as a, a blank canvas Amazing. for them to paint on, except obviously they didn't want to because it just looked like I couldn't act. So um, that was some feedback I got early on. of like, <laughs> don't don't be afraid to go in with your own idea and and to really sock it to them. And if they're the kind of person that will give feedback and will work with you, then they'll tell you if it's a hundred miles away, That's or they great. might just be glad to see an idea. You know, they might they might not know, and that has worked so much better inevitably for me that. From that point, I was like, I have to, even if I don't, you know, because sometimes you audition for things and you haven't read the whole script. You've got one page Mm. that tells you nothing. Mm. You still have to create something um, and make a choice that perhaps is arbitrary. Um, And so, I, yeah, that's what I try and do now, which um, definitely has stood me in good stead. So I think, yes, being too pliable and amenable and not, strong enough with my own opinions was the issue early on. Oh, do you know what? That's a real, it's like saying, what, yeah. do, what do other people see in you that you don't like? Which is kind of <laughs> Why hard. Why shouldn't someone cast you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? It's, it's, a, it's a hard question, out? so fair play for answering. No, it is hard. It is, it is, but it's a really good question because also that that's reminded me of something that I'd actually forgotten about where, yeah, you'd, sometimes you need to check back in with those things and go, am I still doing, if I know what my default um kind of floor is then you can keep addressing it whereas yeah I'd kind of forgotten about that um, You mentioned in the in the equity chat that you are a big fan of chasing up uh, on an answer of whether you've got mm. a job or not Has there, is there a reason for that is 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 that come out of a particular a particular experience or is it just a kind of growing 
sense of um, disappointment at not hearing back repeatedly? Yeah, it's kind of a bit of everything, really. Some of it's just been a growing confidence in what I think actors deserve. Um, And the more I understand about the industry, the more I um, look at that issue and think that's really outrageous that you that you drop everything you do really hard work to go in and do an amazing audition and you and you might never be told yes or no and you also often have no idea of the time frame so in six weeks time you could still be in the mix or you could not be and in order to be able to let go of something yeah in the mix is in the the mix mix. you know Things that I went in for five years ago. I, was trying I mean, to what I want to know is, is I want to hear my brother who goes in for a job on a software development uh, kind of capacity. <laughs> and when you say how it goes, he says, I'm, I'm in the mix. Like that never happens Ooh, in the real world. Never. Like nobody says, well, they the told me I'm in the mix. And also we have no idea when we'll know. And I think that's what, you know, I do respect that that is often the case. They don't know when they'll yeah. know. And they've seen a lot of people. So I understand it's not kind of a simple issue. But particularly because I've done other jobs before, you know, whether it's waitressing or working for the Labour Party or anything, I, I applied, I had an interview, I was told when I would know by, and then I would know. Obviously, this hmm. is slightly different, but I still think there's a, a point at which it would be so beneficial to actors' mental health to know, because some of the most challenging times, I guess, I've experienced is when I've weeks and weeks and weeks hung on and hung on and thought maybe I've still got it and I've been told I'm still in the mix and and then you see a casting announcement online and you think oh I, I didn't want to, I wanted to hear through a professional line of communication I wanted my agent to call me you know and obviously they would if they had the information but I'd I wanted say, them to get a call and say you. we're really yeah. sorry and I remember doing uh, I did an audition for Mark Rylance once for a play he was directing and I didn't get the part but two weeks later, I got a handwritten note from him saying specific things that had been really good about my meeting and a, a sorry that it, they weren't going to offer it to me. And I thought, if he's, got, if he's got time to write a handwritten note, you know, surely there's a way that the system could be altered and, and um, a kind of yeah. blanket email could be sent out 100%. just saying your client didn't get it or, your, or we haven't made a decision. Please let them know that we haven't made a decision. Or so I'm not. I, I, you know, we're not, we're not asking for that all the time, right? And, no, for but, sure. But I think if you've got a recall, if you're if you're kind of down to the last few, then then it's really great if people can just let you know. The thing um, I said before, though, which is quite interesting, and I think this is the the I mean, the, the thing we've also got to be ready for is if this ever did come about, you could be waiting for weeks anyway. Because I know, yeah. I know, I've I've been given jobs, you know, three months before a start, but I've equally been given jobs the day of the read through. Absolutely, and, where you went in for it months yeah, ago, and you yeah. you've written it off. So and, no, of course it's not a perfect exactly thing. And most and recently, you've been called back in for something after three months of thinking. Well, I didn't get that. <laughs> and, then, get and then you're like, so no, well, I might have got it. Turns out I didn't get it right. But that's not the point. The point is, like, they couldn't have told me no. No, because so, there wasn't a no. And so it I is a kind of a weird old. Fair. It's a weird old game, and then equally, people don't sign a contract. You know, don't sign a contract sometimes until oh, they're sure. two, or two or three weeks into a job, or after it's finished, and you're like, "Well, they're not going to." It all feels like until until they're on set. The healthiest thing I think is for us is for us to care le- less, but also for people to respect us a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I know as well that I've I've spoken to some cast directors about it who've been really like lovely and and honest about how one of the challenges they face is that they're often, you know, we get a script 24 hours in advance to go into a meeting, often because the casting director 
also got it like 36 hours in advance and and um is on a very squeezed time frame and and is only being paid for like that week of work so doing all the no's would like push them into another week of work that they're not being paid for and so I do understand it's not it almost needs to start at a much higher level of somebody budgeting for this being part of the process that and and, you know <laughs> oh, that's never gonna happen. I but mean, oh, that sounds good. I but 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 I think the it. point is, it, like you say, if if some if one person can write a handwritten letter, it means that the least everybody else can do is click a box on Spotlight that says yes, this role is um, now filled, right? Um, and I think with the with also, I think that actors should probably be given a bit more credit, which is that if something's gone on offer to somebody else. So I think it's okay to know that. It's on offer. That if, yeah. that, if that person then turns it down and they come back to you, you've, you know, well, you get, if you get a that, job after three months, I, you know that you weren't the first choice. But I've been told, I've been <laughs> no. told, exactly, and I've been told several times, I said, mate, what about it? And they'll come back and go, it's, uh, it's on offer. Like, and, yeah. and I'm, that's fine because equally. That's very useful. You it, can yeah. Let and it, it go. And, I think a lot of the time it's sometimes like if it's on offer, I think sometimes agents are like, well, I don't need to tell them that because. Right. I think there's like, there's a whole level of protection of like, you know, managing of actors, mental states that people that, that consider themselves above us in the industry, you know, that there's a hierarchy. Right, right, of, right. There's a hierarchy of information, if not of anything else. And therefore, don't I, you don't need to tell them that. It'll probably break their little hearts. Kind of, <laughs> I know. You know. I think my agent knows that I, I you want to know knowledge wherever, wherever it's there. And that even if it's heartbreaking news or just slightly like disheartening, whatever, I, I just always rather know so I can get on with my life, basically. Uh, and um, the, an agent once told me, uh, that the only time an actor is truly happy is the five minutes after they get a job. In other words, assuming this all <laughs> assuming this all goes well, and your agent calls and says, uh, "Yep, it was out on offer for two months, but that person is now passed," and lo and behold, it's come to you, and you're like, "Yes!" and you yes. Cel- and you celebrate for five minutes. His his kind of worldview was, and this isn't to say that I agree with it, was that actors are only truly happy in the five minutes after they get that phone call. And then right. in his version of the world, that's when the self-doubt kicks in. Um, do you, yeah, do you recognise any of that in yourself? And uh, whether you I do think, or whether you don't, what happens in the kind of five minutes after the five minutes, if you know what I mean? What are your, once yeah, the initial the excitement dies minutes. down, what, what what are the thought processes then? Well, yeah, I always think that that time when I did National early this year, I, I'd got the part a month before rehearsal started and it was this golden month <laughs> where I just got to sit around imagining how this was going to change the face of British theatre and yep. I was going to be, you know, the, it was it would be the best performance anybody had ever done and and so on and so on. And um, and so I think you definitely, the further away you are from beginning, the the more you can indulge in all of that then you have to start thinking about actually doing some work and learning the lines and then it gets really practical and then you're in rehearsals and it's a real thing and not an imaginary thing, which is better in loads of ways, but also you have to let go of, of your kind of ego-centric uh, hopes and dreams and just do the job. Mm. Um, and so, I don't know, I, I'd say that I, I stay buoyant for longer than that five minutes, but I understand that the kind of fantasy element is you just get just after you got the job where you're like this is going to be incredible and then you have to come back down to earth and I think that that I think that can be as dangerous in a way from for me and my brain going completely crazy about how amazing something's going to be um I think that can be quite problematic too because then you do the job 
and you can end up feeling like disappointed or something that you're not spending every day literally skipping down the road feeling like a legend you're just a normal person doing a job um and a really brilliant one so I did try to apply that actually with Machinal was was to get off cloud nine kind of as quickly as I could and start treating it like a, a practical thing and like yeah. doing voice warm-ups every day and and not just sitting around daydreaming about what my costumes were going to be like you know to, to like turn it into work yeah yeah um do you get do you get nervous then coming towards the end of that process and before it goes in front of an audience do you get anxious about that do you get have you ever suffered from any kind of stage fright luckily never suffered suffered from stage fright i definitely um find that for example on a lunch break towards the end of a rehearsal process <laughs> i can sort of spiral that's the moment where you're not doing anything and you can start going oh that bit's really not ready yet and i don't know what i'm doing there and oh, i'm gonna have to do this in front of people the press are gonna be there and i don't know what the reviews will say and and so on and so on and and actually when you're when i'm rehearsing i forget all about it so i think staying with the, the work outside of it and um just knowing that if you keep do, doing the work or whatever you want to call it that that's all you can do really that and also that even when you're playing a lead you're not alone so even if you have a complete disaster somebody else is going to pick up the pieces and keep things moving um and so i get a lot of uh i guess comfort from being on stage with other actors I think doing a, a one-person play is probably the most frightening thing I can imagine because you wouldn't have your fellow actors to yeah. support you and, you know, get yeah. you through a difficult moment. Yeah. I can't think about being on stage alone without thinking about the one time that I delivered the last line of the play as the first line. Um, <laughs> you just have to start again. <laughs> no, I was preset. This is the problem of being preset. And I'm not going into the detail, but I stood up after the when the light cue happened, I stood up in the light and started the open monologue of the play. And there was no other actor due on stage for another five minutes. And I also oh. finished the play with a monologue imaginatively in the same space. And rather than say the opening line, I said the very similar but, sig <laughs> but significantly different final line of the play. Did and you then, just have to be like, oh, that's the end, guys. <laughs> I'm convinced there was a moment where certainly if not, if not, in just in the lighting box uh, in my head it felt like that was the most appropriate thing to do was just go to blackout <laughs> and everyone would be like wow that's really avant-garde we paid 20 quid to sit yeah, here for four minutes let's, great let's not get into that I mean it's oh, it's no. yeah it's, I love stuff like that I absolutely love I mean actors having to save themselves or each other it's just my favourite it's the thing about it being live and there's nothing I enjoy more not from a sadistic point of view at all because I feel so sorry for people when you watch a play where you can tell that something live is happening it doesn't brilliant. normally happen I love because you suddenly see people work together in the most imaginative amazing way and support each other yeah but it's, just, the, it's, it's wonderful the sicker, sick guy inside me it really likes it when it doesn't work so my favourite <laughs> story good. of all time first of all time is a friend of mine was doing Under Milk Wood and he was really hungover. He showed me a nameless. And he jumped in the middle of a monologue, jumped from <gasps> act one into act two. And, no. Right. And so everyone, stage manager was like, what the fuck are we going to do? 
And so there was an executive call, the wrong executive call, made that they would just jump to the queue. So the pages and, you know, the, the lighting box flip, 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 flip to whatever it was in Act 2 and they went to the lighting queue at the end of his monologue and therefore they skipped out, like, you know, a good significant part of the play. Oh, but the best part God. of this story is that uh, the entire family of one of the actors who was only in the section that he'd skipped over had travelled cross-country several hundred miles like 16 of them. No, no, that's <laughs> to, not fair. To be if there. go back at the end to, and be like, to, to be there. go back to, to act one yeah. just a little bit. And so that's he was like, they were all fair. like front row, he says. They might not have been, but like front row, he says, during the curtain call, it was the weirdest thing because they skipped the interval and every, it, was a, it was a matinee and nobody knew quite what had happened. But, they knew something had happened. Yeah, they knew that their, their daughter was not on stage, their sister, their whatever. Oh, uh, that is, oh my that God, to me that is, is unbelievable. Same actor was on a bicycle in the same production on a bicycle stand cycling and the bicycle oh, stand right. broke and he cycled into the front row. I mean, <laughs> I just think the, when theatre goes wrong, when theatre goes why wrong. we love live theatre. It's, it's, so it's glorious. Stuff like that can happen um, and sometimes it does. We did it, I did a, um, a play a few years ago where someone told me the story, which I can't remember if it was something they were in or if this is just an urban legend so you have to let me know if you've heard it okay but they were in a production of the seagull and at the very end the doctor comes onto the stage you know you hear the gunshot <laughs> and he came on the stage and went constantin has shat himself and the curtain came down <laughs> and the curtain came down and all the actors literally were lying on the floor laughing of like we've just told this whole story for a guy to shit himself at the end. That's brilliant. <laughs> and they all were secretly really angry about it as well because there's nothing yeah, like putting in two like, hours or three hours of work. Three hours of work with all the like, <sighs> oh, we've seen a gun, what's going to happen? No, it's just, I like that so much. Yeah. Um, so you said earlier you don't read interviews, but you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned about, yeah, you were thinking anxiety of like, wonder what the reviews will be, but do you read reviews yeah. then? Well, yeah, I pretend, I pretend even to myself that I'm someone that wouldn't read them. But I have to say, I've, I've always cracked in the end. Um, and the reason I allow myself to is because I think if I think you normally have like a fair idea of how you feel about the work that you're doing yep. and you feel about the production. So I'd like to think that if I was in something that got really, really terrible reviews, um, and you know, I've definitely read like mediocre reviews, but but I've never quite had to deal with the like really, really terrible one. That I would at least still ha- be able to hold on to the faith that I had in the work we were doing. Obviously, I won't know until that moment, and then I might stop reading reviews. But it's I do think it's better not to. It's that the thing that bothers me is that. Like when we were doing Machinelle and I thought, I'm not going to read them, I'm not going to read them. And I, I held off for a, a tiny bit, but I found it so difficult. Whoever I spoke to and whoever's face I looked into, I felt like I could see in their eyes the number of stars we'd been given by Mark Billington or something. And like, if somebody smiled at me, I'd be like, are they smiling at me a bit sadly? Like, I'm so sorry. Sadness in their eyes was apparent. <laughs> Sadness in their eyes. Or are they smiling at me like, amazing, everyone loved it. Yeah. So I thought, I'll just save myself the, the mind reading and read them. And it didn't, and and yeah, found it fine, to be honest. Things can stick in your mind that are unhelpful. And I think it's really important if you do read something to not, you have to be rigorous then in your performance of like, I'm not changing anything. No, you must have read. If you know that you're doing that, then you should never read one again. Um, But I think that, yeah, I, I 
I suppose I do feel like they are an opinion. They're often the opinion of someone who's well-respected and knows a lot about the theatre, but it's still somebody's opinion. And and all you can do is, I guess, accept it and go, you know, that's your opinion and, and my opinion is this and the director's opinion is this. And yeah, but I think okay. particularly the director, you know, I have a lot of faith in if you're working with a good director. You have to. And if they have faith in what you're doing, then you're probably on the right track. So you've, you've, you successfully passed stage one of that question. Uh, <laughs> stage two is, have you ever Googled yourself? Oh, yes, I have. Of course. And I, it's something that I have not allowed myself to do since because <laughs> it is a horrible thing to do. Did you um, learn anything new about yourself? Did you find anything out that <laughs> you didn't previously know? I learned how wrong the internet is about right. so many things. Right. And where you want to be like, who should I call to say that's wrong and that's wrong? And call the guys at the internet. Call the internet, internet head office. Guys. Yeah, yeah. And also, it made me really worried. I was like, do people think I've lied? People that know me, do they think I've lied about this stuff? Like, do they think I've just made up all these different things about myself and, and told them to people in interviews? And I haven't. Um, but you just have to be like, anybody that really knows me would would know I wouldn't do that and probably has the sense to know that people make stuff up and people guess information, private information about you and for anything from like your siblings to your age to whatever, they just kind of write whatever. So that was the thing that I, yeah, I learned was don't, don't do that because you'll only uh, find terrible things that you wish you hadn't seen. It, people can just say whatever they want. And that is sort of, terrifying and particularly with interviews the ease with which you can be misquoted is oh, just man. astonishing and it makes you realize why people do really boring safe interviews because that's the only way to have any control over what say people nothing. say that you've said and even if somebody asks you a kind of leading question and you go mm, yeah then they can kind of rephrase it in the interview as if you've as if you've said the thing that they suggested even if you weren't really agreeing with it so i know it, it's um, it's sort of a minefield, and I think the only answer is to is to not really care that if someone who doesn't know you has some wrong information about you or thinks you said something differently to how you said it, that that's not the end of the world. Like doesn't they really probably don't care. They cares. probably don't care that much, and you probably don't care that much either. It's changing nobody's life. I'm on the record. Uh, my first ever interview years ago, I was assistant director on a play. Years, I mean, twenty years ago, and I did an interview for a local paper in Northern Ireland, and. Uh, <laughs> I said, um, I don't think theatre should just be for the well-off. And they published, I think theatre should just be for the well-off. <laughs> and to this day, I, I use no. that. Uh, every time I have an interview, I remind myself of that. I just that remind myself to, to be very, oh. very clear. Yeah. I mean, that's in print somewhere. My mother has that in a scrapbook. Oh, I think theatre should just be for the well-off. I I think terrifying. for rich people, thanks. You are alone in that view. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So I think it's that it's one of the reasons I stopped reading things because even just tiny, tiny misquotes I would obsess over and think, why did they yeah. why did they write that and how does that make me come across? Yeah. And also I think whenever you're talking about yourself, which I know I'm doing now, but especially in print it somehow can sound like you think everyone should care loads about what you have to say or to yep. say about yourself. Yep. Obviously, there's the complex thing of the very fact that you're doing an interview means someone has asked you to say some things about yourself. But I think you also have to do them with a sense of awareness that you're not, you know, this isn't 
kind of <laughs> your interview isn't going to change the world or um and people shouldn't be kind of falling over themselves to get to the magazine rack to see what Emily Barrington has to say about something um and it's very hard for it not to sound like that and so uh, I yeah I've never kind of got comfortable with so, that so in a world where you know there are many more media outlets for actors to be interviewed in magazines, websites, podcasts, TV shows, all that carry on. And where PR and publicity, publicists and publicity have become yeah. a bigger part of the industry in the UK. Um, how important do you think talent is? How important oh. do you think um, public persona is? And how important do you think that luck is like if there's a kind of a ratio yeah. of things that are important and let's let's say there are those are three pretty big parts of the industry today whether we like it or whether we don't um in your experience what do you think uh what do you, which of those do you think is most important, most important luck talent, well, or or what are we going to call it um so, yeah pers- like pr- pr stuff or yeah like, what would that persona, be like? public persona is yeah. kind of a good way to put it yeah, like, but yeah. I mean, I suppose I think luck is is probably the main thing, and that can cover all sorts of things, from the whole being in the right place at the right time, to you know the fact that if I auditioned auditioned for Guildhall a different year, I might not have got in, depending on who else was there. Yep. But also the the luck of <laughs> whether you happen to be born with certain attributes that a certain casting director is looking for in that moment. Um, that, whether that's how that you in, look in an era. or your height, yes, exactly. In an era that where people are are wanting to cast someone who sounds like you or looks like you or whatever, and so I think that's you know, and some of that is tied in with privilege and and yeah. that a whole conversation that you know, unfortunately, all of that I guess comes under, even though it's a horrible way to put it, but luck. And also, luckily, that is all changing. And hopefully people are, hopefully talent is becoming increasingly important. Um, And I do also think that talent is important because you can be as lucky as you want and get in as many amazing rooms as you want. But you also, I guess, have to deliver and people have to want to work with you. And they might want to work with you because of your level of fame and your public persona. They might work with you because of uh, how you, you sound or look or what height you are but I guess maybe I, um, maybe this is just hopeful but I always hope that kind of at some point talent is important too and also your work ethic which are tying with talent which is like whether you can apply your ability to actually doing something that that there are the people I like to work with the most are the ones that care about those things and that are really um, excited about the ideas you have uh, more than whether you've ever been on the cover of a magazine or something. Okay, so but it's hard because you, I I kind of subscribe to all of those things, um, and you just you want it to just be talent, but it's um, it's not. So I think. do you believe in big breaks then? Um, not in a kind of um, fate style way of like your big break will come. I think that some people get a job that takes them from relative obscurity in terms of their persona to doing a really high profile job that loads of people will see and loads of people want to cast them as a result of. But if any, I, I often think that the actors I know that have careers that I really admire 
are people that have every job they've done, or not even every job they've done, but they've done a series of jobs where they make progress in a different direction, whether that's because they work with somebody new or they do a very different type of performance or they expand their kind of creative, I don't know, abilities in a new way. Um, and it gives them the confidence to do something else. And that's the kind of career I've always been more interested in, partly because it's way more likely. Um, and you're not relying on fate kind of handing you magically some incredible job. But also it just feels like a more realistic way to build a career that if you think about other careers, that tends to be how they go. Other people get they get a job, they work really hard, they maybe get on really well with somebody, they, you know, progress up the ladder. And I kind of there's something about that that feels realistic in a reassuring way. Yeah. So from the outside. Uh, let's say some of your Guildhall peers watching you get cast in a big international TV show co-production between an American company and a British company, it would be fair to say that some of them would be forgiven for thinking, God, that's Emily's had her big break. They might, yeah. Uh, And I guess at points during that process, it may even have felt to you like, oh, this is, this is the big break. This is, you know, because everything's relative, I guess, as well, because Mm-mm. I'm guessing now for you to feel like you're having a big break again, it would have to feel bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you could have felt like you were having your big break coming out of drama school, like, I'm working at the album, I've got a job. Yeah, you for know? sure. So, Just so, like, so everything's, doing, yeah. everything kind of seems relative, um, I guess. But um, does then the realisation that you have to go back to auditioning is that harder after having had a what people might consider a big break, even if you didn't yourself? Is is you know uh, going back to auditioning after a big show more difficult than before? Do you feel more unemployed or you know more powerless mm. because you felt like you might have had have, might have had power for a change? Yeah, I think that I think there is something in that, which is that after I got that first job at the Almeida and I. I left Guildhall and did this play and um, I remember it was yeah really good reviews and I kind of thought oh god it's just going to be so great from now on you know I, I, I probably won't have to audition for stuff anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and then I just could not get a job for I don't know how long it was after I mean it was it was probably six months or something which isn't in I've late, later learned it's not very long but at the time it felt long and it was a real back down to earth a job is just a job it's amazing while it lasts um make the most of it because yeah you you can feel very much like you're back at square one you're not necessarily but it can feel like that and I remember bumping somebody I knew and they said to me in that time they'd known I'd gone to see that play and they said to me um what you're not working and I thought (laughs) oh no I know you mean that as a compliment but I know. I felt like I'd, I'd had a very long fall from a dizzy height that I'd taken myself to. So I try really hard not to do that. But inevitably, you know, when Humans came out and it was this smash hit success, like the, the biggest ratings Channel 4 had had in 20 years for a drama. And again, you have that creeping little voice coming in and going, <laughs> oh, it's going to be so easy from now. Every job you want will just be laid out on a platter. And and actually, after that first series, I had another. It's funny; it quite often seems to happen after um, a moment where where you maybe look very successful. That that's when things can end up feeling very quiet. That 
for whatever reason, whether it's timing or luck or you're strategically trying to like do something a bit different. So you're saying no to some stuff or you're just not getting offers. It just it, it happens again and again. And so I always tell myself I'm not going to wind myself up and think this is it. This is this is the life changing moment. But it's it's hard not to do because you want it to make things easier. You want a job to mean not just three months of amazing work. You want it to mean oh, I won't have to do quite so many auditions next year. Um, but in reality, I guess you have to accept that it may mean that or it may make no difference whatsoever. So um, you hinted at six months there. You didn't hint. You said six months. <laughs> yeah. After the Almeida. Um, what's the longest you've gone without employment as an actor? Well, between the first and second series of Humans, where we were, we were optioned for um, another series. So I did, I guess I'm, it's cheating because I knew I had another job coming around, but that was a year and I didn't work. I didn't do sorry, anything else I'm in sorry. that year. What? I'm going to do what your friend did. You weren't working? <laughs> you weren't working? What? I know. And that I is crazy. It's, I, and again, I'd be sort of being disingenuous if I said it, it's, I was also trying to be selective about what I did. Yeah, of course. But any of the things I really wanted to do didn't come up for yeah. obviously a million reasons. And so... But you felt always um, like one might. So you weren't, you weren't saying no thinking, I'm quite happy not to work for a year. You were, say, no, I was you were like, saying I no thinking something else will do, come up. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that was, you know, it was the right call. And I had a bit of confidence because I knew something was coming back around. So financially I knew I'd be okay and yeah. I'd be doing something again that I love. But, um, but yeah, I remember, I remember really finding that very difficult and thinking this is, this is kind of the absolute epitome of people saying, oh my God, it's going so well for you. And me thinking, mm, I'm, I'm actually very frustrated and uh, <laughs> a bit disillusioned. And then you have another year where you haven't been in a big, exciting show and actually like everything seems to, well, not everything, but loads of things seem to come off um, yeah. and work really well. So. It's like the acting yeah, equivalent guess, of feeling lonely in a in a in a room full of people. It's feeling unemployed or feeling you know worthless or feeling like unsuccessful. Like yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. I remember so. I remember Hayley Atwell came to speak to us at Guildhall because she'd gone there. She did a Q and A, and she talked about being on the red carpet for Captain America and not knowing how she was going to pay her mortgage because she hadn't worked since they'd made it or something. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, no, that's not. I just thought, oh, that's not possible. That's just not, it can't be possible. That, that's and horrific. It, it is possible. <laughs> and it happens all the time. Because normally the kind of glamorous uh, side of things happens obviously months after you've made the film or the yeah. series. Yeah. So you're so far away from making that piece of work. And you are so spent. far away. The money's gone. The, money is the tax gone. bill looms. You know, yeah, it's you, like... You're in a completely different headspace. You also then have to have conversations with your fellow colleagues of like, what are you up to? And oh, this is nothing worse. It's really, they're the only people where you can't lie and be like, well, I've just wrapped on this film. Yeah. They're like, no, I was on that too. And it was six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, and also you had really two days. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they've been cut. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that, that was the kind of a challenging time, but it taught me so much in that year. I remember thinking, you know, I can't be someone that just sits around and waits for stuff to happen. I've got to start writing. I've got to start um, 
you know, just doing other stuff that's not to do with acting. I started, I started volunteering, which I still do now and get loads of joy from. Um, and I decided to kind of keep learning and like start reading way more. Um, and also, you know, financially, like really get on top of things and not just be somebody that like waits for, waits for all their money to run out and then panic. But it, yeah. it, it was quite a, it was a helpful year. And if I, if I have a year like that again, I know that I'll be, well, I hope I'll be way better prepared for what that entails. So, um, yeah. If, if then you're better prepared for being unemployed again, uh, what ways of coping have you acquired? Like what is, what will you go, if that happens again, what are Mm. the things that you've learned that will make it easier? Well, doing some stuff that's not about acting, I think it's, it's very tempting to feel like you have to spend all day every day making yourself into an actor because no one's paying you to do it and reading stuff and making sure you get to the theatre and all that's great and I, I think very valuable but I think you need some things that are not a means to an end and that yeah. are not about your career so that's where I actually think volunteering is great um not to sound holier than thou but it's, it's something about you know acting can be such a self-focused career where mm. you're constantly thinking about yourself and how people view you doing something where your focus is going out onto somebody else or something else or a cause that is it, it can help put things in perspective if you don't get a job um but you're doing something that is you're not being paid for but is extremely meaningful in another way and makes you feel interested and alert and kind of in tune with the world around you or your community or something i find really yeah it is fantastic so i joined the good gym which is a really brilliant organization that um connects people who like running with um isolated people in their community so perhaps elderly people who don't have any relatives nearby and the idea is you go you run to their house so they set you up with someone who's a kind of a good running distance away and then have a cup of tea and they're they're called your coach like they inspire you to do your run even if it's raining or whatever oh and yeah and then you have a cup of tea a bit sweaty on the sofa i was thinking that our spark on the sofa alert I know. I think you, you've got to be careful with what you take with you and make sure you've got things to sit on if you've really bring a, gone for Bring it. a reusable plastic bag. Bring something or take off your little like running fleece and sit yeah. on that. And yeah, have a cup of tea, have a lovely chat and um, and then you can run home or I can't often get the bus home because I'm tired by then. So yeah, it's, uh, it, but it's great. And it, yeah, something about it that feels very, it's not one-sided. You know, you, you've, both really benefit and the person I visit we've got really great friendship and I've been seeing visiting her for two years now and yeah it's kind of it's a big part of my life that's great and yeah really it just because that that's someone that they they don't care if I didn't get the audition that I went in for on Friday I mean they might if I told them about it but it's just out of the acting bubble yeah. Um, which I love. So I'd say that is my like my number one thing. So getting back into the acting bubble then, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that we spoke about kind of after the equity chat was social media. Yeah. And I had, I think went to contact you in social media about something and then went, hold on. And then searched for you again on Twitter and was like, what? What? Which She's quite often there. happens now <laughs> with actors. Like I must admit, I went through a period uh, about, 
maybe 18 months ago where I unfollowed every single actor, including friends <laughs> that I followed on Twitter yeah. because I found I found actually that other actors were the people that were making me feel depressed. Yeah, it's um, really tough, isn't it? And so you're off you're off everything or what's the what's no, the deal? How did Instagram. that come about? Um, I left Facebook a few years ago and then Twitter last summer. And I think, I don't know, it, it wasn't a kind of major decision and it's not that I won't go back on it. I probably will at some point, but I just noticed that my anxiety levels when I'd been on Twitter or was looking at it were kind of skyrocketing, partly because I was, every time I tweeted anything, I, a bit like with reading back interviews, I'd then spend two hours going, was that stupid? Was that, did I sound like I was showing why, off? Why is no one and like that? Yeah, well, like, what, have I offended the whole universe? And like, what can I do? Shall I delete it? Will that look weirder? And so um, I just thought, why am I putting myself through this for something that, as far as I can see, has fairly minimal impact? I think that there are ways in which it's great. And for actors, I think there's ways in which it's great, particularly if you're promoting something or you're, I don't know, if you're doing something that, like, could do with some social media like hype behind it then that's great um and yeah i would happily rejoin if i had a but do you think purpose. do you think not being on twitter has harmed you in any way professionally no i think it's only benefited me emotionally right i think uh, yeah there could, i mean i think that's the fear i think I people have this fear about. that they'll be invisible yeah. that that they'll be invisible totally that, yeah, and, like, and that other people will be visible and therefore the people who are visible will get the meetings and they'll be, sure. you know, I think that's the thing is that you see, I think personally anyway, sometimes you feel like I might cease to exist in this, <laughs> yes. in this industry. If I'm unemployed Without? and also not on Twitter, that means yeah. I don't exist. I always think though that I completely understand that, but I think that there's way more of me looking out at other people then there are like I'm the one looking at casting directors' profiles. They're probably not looking at mine because if they want to see me or meet with me, I guess I just to a degree have to just trust that they will. Um, there is always a fear, and I always hate those those rumors that go around of like, did that person get cast because they have fifty thousand Twitter followers? Yeah. And I suppose I always just think, well, if that's how things get cast, I don't know if I can bring myself to be part of that that kind of race and that um yeah that that that's so that seems like such a terrible thing if it were true that if that literally the kind of numbers on a on a twitter profile that i am um, i'd rather not be playing the game in a way and i don't know if that is <laughs> affect me or not whether i'll be shooting myself in the foot but i would certainly I guess I would consider rejoining if someone could tell me it was definitely going to help me. Um, I think it was, I just began to notice that it didn't, it didn't feel worth it for the, for the hassle I felt. Not that, not that I was getting hassle, but just the, I don't know. Yeah. The day-to-day stress of it and the comparison it would make me do. And also that that was somehow, sometimes the, the place I would, I'd hear about a job I hadn't got because somebody had tweeted about getting it. And I think this isn't, why don't I just remove myself from this? Um, system um, and stop myself having to worry about whether what I've tweeted will make me look stupid to a director who's followed me on Twitter or, or whatever yeah. like yeah. why don't I just because also I love that whole thing of how you know in the past actors were allowed to be a bit more mysterious and could therefore maybe transform a bit more easily mm. that I always thought if I'm kind of putting who I am out into the world 
how will somebody believe me as, a, as something else? And I know people can, but I, yeah, I always found that a bit tricky. Do you find uh, it difficult to be friends with other actors? I mean, do you find it say difficult? Obviously, we have close friends, and they are whatever they are, whether they're actors or not, and that in the close, mm. and our closest friends that it really isn't a, a, a something that you consider. I think, but in terms of your extended friendship group, I mean, I mentioned just having unfollow people because I find that. I just wasn't enjoying other people's uh, successes, if I'm totally honest, yeah. or rather how they were being sold or being spun. I didn't really, mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy so much. Um, I wonder, do you find, do you find it difficult to celebrate friends' successes? Do you find yourself giving in to um, jealousy or comparison if mm-hmm. you want to put a kind of more slightly more positive spin on it? Um, do those do those things have an have an impact on relationships? I think I definitely feel all those things, and I definitely have major pangs of jealousy or comparison now and again, um, which I think can also exist in like a really complicated way with being really happy for somebody that you know it's not. I think there's sort of a scale where sometimes I'm like 90% happy and 10% jealous. And sometimes it's the other way around. Mm. Um, and sometimes I, even the happy bit can't really exist yet because especially if it was something I also auditioned for, but so many of my friends are actors that I've actually find that found that what is, um, what's really helpful is if, is that the people, the actors that I have stayed very good friends with are naturally uncompetitive so you're not having those conversations where we're like talking about work, but really we're just kind of sussing each other out and yeah. working out who's doing better or whatever. Like people like that, I really would struggle to be friends with. Um, but also I, most of my friends who are actors, they are people who don't get much joy from talking about the business <laughs> side of things, which is a joy that, you know, I really, I think I, I find kind of, acting business chat quite difficult and not very it's not the thing that makes me love being an actor that's the creative side of things and there are people that you feel you've got really kind of stuck into a like oh yeah do you have American representation and who are they and what do you think of them and do you have PR and and you think oh my god this is not uh, this isn't what I think of when I think about I'm not relaxed right now Yeah. yeah like I feel like I'm being put on the spot and if I and every answer might be being judged as to whether it's better or worse than what you do. Um, so that kind of thing, yeah, I wouldn't have any time for. But all my actor friends, I think, are probably, you know, we've we've stayed friends because we're not like that. And if anything, we can maybe help to alleviate some pressure from each other and reassure and and support and and also allow people a bit of space to feel a bit jealous or a bit. Uh, comparison-y or whatever that, yeah. that that's really human and I would never expect someone to kind of if I told an actor friend about a great new job I would never expect them to kind of hit the ceiling with joy immediately I'd, yeah that would be unfair and you probably guard how you tell them as well and pick your yeah and, oh yeah yeah so what about friends other friends do you think being an actor has an effect on personal relationships uh, beyond that like I mean in terms of just I suppose explaining that the the missing of at other people's important moments, uh, be it like mm. someone's wedding or someone's hand do, or perhaps even, you know, um, uh, 
uh, not being there for family events or not being available, not being able to commit to things early on. Oh, yeah. Do, do you no, find that, that that has an impact on relationships, uh, you know, in terms of people including you in things or assuming that you won't be able to take part or, you know? I think I definitely have found that very hard over the years of, of missing major things. And I try really hard not to and I you know I used to kind of if I got an audition for the next day and it was someone's birthday dinner that night I would just be like I'm sorry I can't come I have to work on this audition whereas I've tried to find ways now where more than anything because it would then make me resent the audition so much if I didn't get it and I'd missed a really important event that trying to be a bit more reasonable and go you know I'll do some work now and then go to this for a bit and then come home so I don't miss as many things as I used to um but sometimes it's inevitable if you have to work. If you're doing a play, you can't get a Saturday off for someone's wedding. Um, can't you just get like an but, understudy to do it? <laughs> but that would be great. The, <laughs> that's always uh, the one. Yeah. Can you not yeah, just, can you just take your understudy on? You think, no, that's really not allowed. That's not why they're there, even if, we, even if I have, have one. Broken yeah. legs. It's like, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, even if I have one. So, no, uh, that is tough. I think I've been quite lucky in people being understanding um but i can also tell that sometimes the trickiest bit is if if you're explaining to people that it that, that you have to miss something and it's for a job that sounds really amazing and exciting it's easy for people to get their heads around obviously because they're like oh i understand that that's unmissable yes if it's something that doesn't sound particularly glamorous or people don't know what it is then you, yeah. you feel like you have to do a bit more justifying of like i know this doesn't sound important but it is actually and i, I have to be there and your thing's important too and um yeah it's really it is challenging um and i think that what i my my strategy is to be so understanding if anybody ever misses anything of mine i'm literally like begging people not to come to my birthday party being like if it's too much trouble even if you have a cold if your cat's not very well please don't come please 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 i'll understand <laughs> so listen like, if you want to invite me this year first. i guarantee i won't come <laughs> And, well, you know, it was we last Friday, friends. so... Oh, uh, happy birthday. <laughs> happy you. birthday. Sorry I couldn't make I it. Mean, I was so busy. Uh, I really understand. And I also there was the fact that you didn't invite me. Um, <laughs> listen, so, so we're nearly there. I think we've done mm-hmm. a lot and we've talked about, as we always do, without being negative, I hope, we've talked about all of the things that are difficult, um, mm. the various things. And they may seem, I suppose, people outside the industry petty at points, but I think taken together, it's a fairly, you know, it can be a fairly uh, overwhelming picture of negatives or I, I don't know mm. what, I don't know what the right word is, but, but you know what I mean? It's, it, it, so there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. The cha- challenges. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, good. Um, but, but have they ever got to the point where you've considered throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going back to a career in geography or I'm going to go back into <laughs> politics. I am going to or... be a geographer. Um, I, well, I, first of all, park ranger. Luckily, I met a park well, ranger last night who'd done a geography degree and I thought, oh, there's the reason to be what a I ge- could have done. You know what I mean? Oh, I wish I'd known. No, yeah. I, you know what? I really recommend a geography degree to anybody. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I've, I definitely have um, considered whether it's, whether it whether I can sustain it and keep facing those challenges um and the way I deal with that is I just say to myself right well no one's making you be an actor you you have a choice um what do you want to do then and and sometimes I even make myself decide on other jobs I would like to have 
and say, okay, well, why don't you look into how you would become that? And inevitably, the so far, the pull to stay being an actor, even when it's really hard, has always been stronger. But I find that doing that test on myself very helpful, partly because it's really empowering in that it, it's me saying to myself, you don't have to do this. You, you are not trapped in doing this forever. Hello? Oh, sorry, someone's just come in. Just, just doing an interview. Just. <laughs> I'll start that again. <laughs> real life goes on <laughs> so yeah so so I guess that what I was saying was that the um yeah I set myself the little test of whether there's something else I'd rather do whether I should follow another path and I just say to myself right Emily if it's that bad don't do it then yeah and I say no Emily I, I want to do it I mean I don't say it out loud but using Emily, my name, but I, yeah <laughs> how much of that is about I have this feeling quite a lot um, as I get older, that acting has ruined me for any potential that I may have had <laughs> no. to, have, to have a full-time job. And I, transferable I, I, skills. We've got yeah, so many yeah, transferable skills. Yeah, one of my transferable skills is not working five days a week, 48 weeks of the year, right? I think we could surprise ourselves. I always think like, <laughs> that think sounds like really good fun. Then you think, okay, but you don't get to spend as much time with your wife. You don't, don't get to take your dog yeah. for a while. Like, it's that classic thing. I Call keep repeating. Call me a friend for coffee on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are worse things than being an unemployed actor if you can manage the psychological aspects of it. Yes, and the financial side of it. There are definitely worse things than being an unemployed actor. So, I agree. I totally agree. And I, and I often, when I'm on the sofa feeling sorry for myself, I think, I'll get a grip, you know, you yeah. you could be like slaving away in some sort of really difficult job right now, feeling really stressed. You're, you're on the sofa. It's okay. It's, <laughs> like, it's going to be okay. Get over yourself. So what's the best yeah. part of the job? Turning it around um, to positives. What, what, what's the, the best other, thing? The thing that keeps you coming back? The thing that stops you going and being a park ranger? Yes. Apart from that, I wouldn't know how to do that. <laughs> um, I, it's it's, the other it's on your Wikipedia page. I'm going to put it there tonight. <laughs> I think the other people I think part rangers is a, it's kind of a solitary career and, okay. so, but genuinely the other people I think that um I really love working as part of a cast I love the rehearsal process um I love working with other actors and I just I think it's that um as much as anything also getting your hands on a great story and you know and you read a script and you just think this is amazing I've loved just reading it imagine if I get to turn it into something live and real um I just like it so much so yeah on those days where I feel really kind of like is this is this too tough is the instability too difficult you, you get something through that it catches your imagination and that's sort of enough to spur you on to keep going I like it other mm, people is good. a good reason to do this job um, yeah yeah I mean I understand that other people also work with other people but yeah but I think a lot of actors offer something really amazing when you work with them. Some don't, some are dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> Mostly, but, uh, it, one of the I've things, only worked with yeah. really nice ones. But one of the things is yeah. it's people find, and it sounds fucking wanky, but people say it all the time, is they found their tribe. They knew whenever they mm. did the play at 17 or at 11 or 22, whatever it was, that they felt like, oh, these are my people. And, yeah, and that gets like, you through yeah. a hell of a lot of the way. I think it you help, you know, sweetens sweetens the rest of the day a little bit. Um, it does it really does? We're coming towards the end. Uh, you'll recognize mm. these questions if you've heard the podcast before. Yes. Uh, do you consider yourself successful? Oh, I don't know because I hate the word successful. I think it's it's well, also relative. And we'll get to day that. to day. We'll get to that. Yeah. 
I, I honestly can't answer it. I think it's something that if I said yes, that would feel disingenuous. And if I said no, it would also feel disingenuous. Okay. So your younger self, let's go back to, mm. uh, let's go back to the person who graduates from a geography degree and then decides they want to go to drama school. If that young woman was handed your CV or your uh, spotlight uh page or whatever it is and uh maybe even read some of the interviews that you've you know that have embarrassed you over the years would she think god I, i'm successful oh she would be thrilled because she never thought she was going to get a single job <laughs> and um so yeah she she would definitely be looking at, at the cv going wow you know that it- that's pretty great so the natural question then is, is you've already said it, uh, that success is, is relative, right? Mm. Um, how do you define success now in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable about, uh, def- you know, defining whether or not you fit into that? Yeah, well, the reason I feel uncomfortable is because I do think it's relative. And I think whatever stage you got to, you know, you could be nominated for an Oscar and feel unsuccessful because you didn't win. Um, and I think that it, so that's where I really struggle with it, because I know it's not I think it's such an unsafe thing to be chasing after, because the second you think you've got hold of it, it sort of disappears and, and is another 10 feet further away from you. Yep. Um, so I try and I'd be lying if I said I always succeed to if, if I'm if I'm doing enough of what I enjoy and if I am. um doing enough of uh, kind of acting work that allows me to pay for at least some of my life and, you know, all that kind of thing, then that feels successful. And I also, you know, I look at friends that have done much less kind of high profile work, but I think of them as very successful because they've made a life that works for them with their acting careers. And so that's what I'm always looking for is like, how do you make your life and what you want from life? that's not just a career that's like all the rich things that you want how do you make that work in that career and if you kind of keep managing to find that then that feels like success equally you know i'll open the evening standard magazine and go that person's successful because they're in this magazine so i have to keep checking in with myself about what i think it really is um what's the best advice you've ever been given if you've ever been given good advice at all on that you know, is, <laughs> yeah, I have. Is okay. So, what what are the what are the things that help you either as a performer or as a human being to survive this industry or to be a better actor or whatever? What what are the nuggets that stick with you? Um. So Dominic West came and did a speech at our graduation at Guildhall, and he said a phrase which was "Hold on tightly, let go lightly," which obviously is lovely because it rhymes but also it I feel I often think of that in terms of auditions um and press nights and high pressure moments where where you think hold on tightly as in you know this does mean something so work really hard and really go for it and invest and put yourself in there and then let go lightly and let go of it and and let it be whatever it is and try and move on from it it's really hard to do but I often have that in my mind if I'm if I'm not doing the letting go bit very Mm. well which is the the bit I find hardest, um, and particularly if you've had like a rubbish day where you were you, you're terrible in rehearsals or you really screwed up an audition, it's so important to just let go, let go of it because what I mean, you sitting at home thinking about it isn't going to change anything. Um, so that's been really good advice. And then actually, yeah, the the advice that I was given about letting your 
keeping your failures and your successes and how you react to them kind of to a degree in moderation. I've, I've also found very helpful that you, if, if you, if every time you get a job or a recall, you drink 10 bottles of champagne, then you, when you don't get something, you might, well, for me, I then feel like I have to do the kind of negative equivalent, which I don't know what that is. But yeah, like, no, I know what you mean. It has to, um, you have to balance it. Yeah. yeah, that you somehow have to feel as terrible as you would feel good if you got it. And so like bringing those things somewhere towards the middle um, you, you has know been what, quite helpful. Interestingly, it came up in the equity thing about, Larner mentioned the whole thing about year, a couple of years ago now, I'd said, oh, I, we always celebrate. Um, in our mm. house, we celebrate every little success. We've stopped doing that. I think just partly because we've stopped registering them as much. I think it wasn't uh, by yeah. design. So but it's probably just become a more normal part of life. Yeah. Like it's a yes or it's a no. And, yeah, exactly. And, and so that's I, kind of I think an ordinary. That's, that's a really healthy thing to, to kind of think about. Um, if you could go back and offer your younger self advice, so let's go back again to uh, that uh, young woman coming out of um, Guildhall, say. Um, if you could go back and offer her some advice to help make the intervening years pass a little bit, uh, a little bit more smoothly with less obstacles um, uh, and with less anxiety, maybe what advice might you offer her? Well, I mean, if I could go all the way back to the innkeeper's wife, then I would say to her, "Oh yeah, go back to her. Get, 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 demand your own line. Um, say half the words, please." Um, but then, if I could skip forward to go to yeah, the person leaving Guildhall, I think. Um, I think it's something along the lines of so little of this is to do with you. Does that make sense? That mm. it's like so little of what happens is in your control. So if you try and control every single moment and like nail every single moment and work yourself kind of to the bones on every audition, you're expending a lot of energy that actually a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with you. So like put the responsibility and the and everything into somebody else's hands um, and just do what do an amount that you feel good about. Uh, and yeah, I think it would, it would be that. that I, so I know in some ways that that sounds kind of disempowering because you're handing over the power to other people. But I actually find to, uh, acknowledging that that's how it works quite, quite relaxing in a way that you can't you can't make yourself get a job. You can only offer your work and see what happens. Uh, penultimate question which kind of jumps off the, your first answer to that a little bit which is um, if you were in charge for a day and you could make changes that would be lasting and immediate uh, what changes would you make or what would be at the top of the list of changes that you might make to our industry um, I would definitely find a way that enabled casting directors to give everybody a yes or a no or a, at least an update something where two weeks down the line you would hear something even if it was we haven't made a decision yet I don't know what that would take and I'd love to hear from anyone that knows that like what facilities are required to make that happen because I definitely don't think it's just people not giving a shit I think that you know there's challenges for everybody involved so that would be the, the first thing um, and also, I think um, the flip side of that, which is that giving giving actors um, more time to prepare for auditions, that's often one of the things I find most challenging in terms of my own mental health is when you when you get something 24 hours in advance, 
Mm-hmm. And again, I know there's a million reasons why, and people aren't just like sitting on the script refusing to send it to you. But those are the those are the days where I I get super stressed. I cancel loads of stuff. Yeah. Um, I often do not very good work because all I'm trying to do is learn the lines and cram them in my head, and mm. and it the whole the whole 24 hours is really unsatisfactory and probably for the people in Preach. in the room that I meet as well because they're meeting someone super stressed who's just learnt the lines and doesn't really have any ideas to offer. So if there was a way to change that. I also think it it's so kind of not a reflection of what acting is about that mm. you know knowing the lines is is in many ways the least important bit having ideas and it's like an acting test designed by someone from outside the industry it's like yeah it's like oh how do they learn the lines (laughs) and and, you know i have so many friends that are dyslexic and find that impossible who are fantastic actors and i think can people see that in those kind of meetings because all they're seeing is someone that struggled a bit more to learn lines but if they got this job they'd be incredible so it feels kind of fairly unequal that whole system and again i i don't know what is happening 10 stages away from me getting the phone call that means inequality emily in the entertainment industry well and that would be the final thing (laughs) continuing thank you for yeah the the yeah the continuing changes towards um where we can look for equality yeah um intersectionally with gender with age i'd love to see way more things happen with older actors and and yeah i think that that it, that we're really sort of missing a trick there because we live in such a, a youth-centric society. Uh, Emily Barrington, last question. Are you in anything at the minute? <laughs> no. <laughs> Loves it. Listen, it has been an absolute pleasure. I'm yeah. sorry we ran over slightly. Um, oh, my apologies. We had a little tech issue. So I have thoroughly enjoyed our chat. I'm really glad we Me did too. it. I'm sorry we didn't do it sooner. And that's it for episode seven. Thanks to Emily for doing it. Thanks to you for listening and in advance for sharing it with the people who you love and for giving us a glowing rating and review on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Should ratings and reviews be a thing? I'll be back in a week or two. Who knows how I feel in the intervening weeks. will largely dictate when the next podcast appears. But until then, thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.